Welcome to Jury Duty. I'm your host, Chris Terracone. Season 8 of Jury Duty explores the trial of Alex Murdoch, a member of one of the most powerful families in South Carolina, who is accused of murdering his son Paul and his wife Maggie, with the purpose of covering up a myriad of alleged crimes including fraud and homicide. In our last episode, we concluded our look at the testimony of SLED Digital Forensics expert, Lieutenant Britt Dove. In this installment, we review the testimony of the gunshot residue investigator who worked the scene of the murders. And we begin our look at the direct examination of Rogan Gibson, a friend with whom Paul Murdoch exchanged text messages just before Paul was killed. That's all coming up right after the break. Prosecutor John Matters calls Dathan Brian Varnado of the Colleton County Sheriff's Office to the stand. Varnado sports a shaved head and a dark brown goatee and wears his blue sheriff's uniform. The witness's testimony is brief. He states that when he reported to the Murdoch's Moselle Road property, his supervising officer, Captain Jason Chapman, assigned him to locate Alex Murdoch and take a gunshot residue test of his hands. After receiving the assignment, Sergeant Varnado testifies that he approached Alex Murdoch and Prosecutor Matters asks, Had you ever seen Alex Murdoch before that night? Yes. Okay. Did you know him before that night? Yes. Okay. Well, can you tell us how you knew him? Um, I testified as an expert witness in one of his cases. An expert witness? Yes. Is that the gang which you said earlier you're back? Yes, it had to do with uh, a gang uh, case. What did you testify to? Um, it was some terminology that was used in a phone call, and he wanted, uh, in my area of, of expertise with gang lingo and gang slang, he wanted me to testify to a, um, a statement that was said on a phone call. So you weren't involved in the actual case? No. Okay, so Mr. Uh, Defendant Alex Murdoch asked you to come testify as an expert? Yes. And was he sitting over here at the time at this table? Uh, yes. I mean the prosecution table? Prosecution table, yes. In, in this courtroom? Um, it was here at Hampton, I'm okay. sure. In a courtroom? Right. I'm curious, what, what were you called to testify about? Um, like I said, it was some terminology used in a, in a phone call he was prosecuting in this case. What were you asked to testify the terminology? I'm just curious. Um, an individual was on the phone telling someone to go and uh, get the whistle, and he wanted me to clarify what that term Get meant. the whistle? Yes. What, what, what he was referring to a firearm. Fi okay, the whistle. So you were interpreting that a whistle meant a firearm? Right. Okay, and the, and the inmate was wanted somebody to do something with the whistle? That's what I was told the phone call was about, yes. Did you testify? I did. And when was that? That was it's probably in five, six years. So on June 7th of 2021, when you saw the defendant, did, did he recognize you as far as you can tell? Yes. Okay. Did he recognize you as far as you could tell? Yes. Did he say your name? 
Yes. Okay. Do you say his name? Yes, sir. Okay. Sergeant Farnado next takes the jury through the process he used to collect any gunshot residue from Alex Murdoch's hands. But what's the first thing you do when you when you get ready to take a gunshot residue from somebody? Well, I have I don't use the, I have my own gloves. I okay. put on gloves before I administer this kit to the individual. I explain to them what it's for and uh, why I'm doing it. Okay. And uh, you looking at them? Yes. How far are you from them? About you and I. Okay. And this night, let's go back there right now to June seventh. Are you looking at Mr. Murdoch? Yes. Okay. Y'all knew each other? Yes. Did you smell the alcohol on him? No. Okay. Did he appear to be under the influence of anything to you? Alcohol, drugs, anything else? No. Could he understand what Brian Var Varnado was asking to him as far as you knew? Did he understand your questions? Yes, yeah, as far as I knew. And uh, could you understand his responses? Just talking. Yes. And uh, were his answers to you timely? Yes, they were. Subject matter appropriate? Yes. When you asked him to, if you could take a gunshot residue, did he comply? He complied. After the witness demonstrates for the jury the process of collecting any residue of an individual's hands, the prosecutor asks, So this whole time you're that close to him and you're doing that? Yes. Were his hands shaking? Uh, I do not recall his hands shaking. Prosecutor Metters next reviews a form that Sergeant Varnado filled out with the gunshot residue test and asks the witness about some of the observations that he recorded on that form. No gunshot wound? No. No. It says any debris or blood or subject. This is what the form says. Any debris or blood or subjects on the hand. And what did you mark? No. So does that mean you had to look at his hands to, to mark no? Yes. Okay. And so when you were looking at his hands, did you see any debris or blood on suspect's hands? No, I did not. And, and you you looked at it. Right. How would you describe it? Um, well, I recall it saying it was clean. And underneath there it says lawyer, uh, honey, the rest of it. Well, it questions. Okay. Yeah. And he signed it, correct? No. Because that's your assessment. My bad, I couldn't see. One final question while I've got you up here. Did you observe what he was wearing? His shirt, his shorts, I remember his, his shirt. shoes. Um, I do not remember his shoes or his um, pants or what he had on. I do okay. remember his shirt. And can you describe the shirt? It was a white T-shirt. Did it appear to have any blood on it from looking right here? No, naked eye, I didn't see any. Okay. Did it appear to be dirty? No. After Sergeant Varnado testifies that he performed his gunshot residue test at 11.15 p.m. on the night of June 7, 2021, and identifies Alex Murdoch in the courtroom as the individual from whom he collected the gunshot residue sample, Prosecutor Metters concludes his direct examination of the witness. Jim Griffin rises for the defense and begins his cross-examination of Sergeant Varnado. Captain Varnado, this individual right here, the defendant Murdoch, Richard Alexander Murdoch, consented to you taking his DSR, correct? Yes. And he cooperated with you fully that night, correct? Yes, he did. And you had talked about a case that he had worked, and he was a prosecutor of a criminal drug case in, in this courthouse or maybe Hampton, but... Right. Right, and, and you worked on that case, not only with Richard Alexander Murdoch, but his father, Randolph Murdoch, correct? That's correct. And that was a drug prosecution of a defendant who was suspected to be involved in the Cowboys drug gang. Is that correct? Um, he was an affiliate, yes. Cowboys were known for being dangerous in this area, correct? Yes, sir. And in that case, I think you, met, you thought maybe five years, but it could have been sooner than that, two or three years it, ago? It could have been. It's been some years. I'm not sure exactly what, what year it was. Now, you, uh, you were showing this aerial photograph. and Have you been out to the property since the night on June the 7th? Yes. Okay. Now, this aerial photograph, you don't know what, what date this photograph was taken, do you? I do not. But you do know that this land here, frankly, right through there, were you aware that at one point in time, that area right there was used as a runway? I did not know that. Okay. But you do know that pine trees were planted 
all through here, correct? And there, there, there are trees there, yes. There's a stand of pine trees there that are not in this photograph. Is that fair? That's fair. Now, the, the collection form asks, it says subject's full name, and the subject was Mr. Murdoch. That's correct. Okay. And, and was he cordial and respectful oh, yes. to you? Yes. And you've been around him on multiple occasions, I take it, working on that case and perhaps other things? A few times, yes. In your presence, has he always been respectful to law enforcement? Yes. Has always treated you with respect? Yes. Did he treat you with respect on the night of June the 7th? Yes, he did. And did he tell you he understood that you had to do a job and take his gunshot residue off his hands, correct? That's right. And, um, and he was shook up, was he not? Uh, yes, he was shook up. Now, you, you showed how the collection is done and how you put the stamp on the front and on the back. Did, did you do a thorough collection of Mr. Mur Murdoch's hands that night? Yes. And did you intentionally leave any part of his hand untested? No. And you did your level best to get every particle of GSR off his hands, according to using that equipment that you had. The way, the way I was trained and taught, yes. And um, were you aware that earlier in the night after he called 911 that he went up to the house to get a shotgun and came back down? And when first responding deputy, I believe it was Green, came to the scene that he seized that shotgun? Did you know that when you got At that time, no. You learned it later? Yes. And you're aware that gunshot residue can transfer from a gun onto a subject's hands, correct? It's possible. Okay. You don't do any testing of gunshot residue, do you? No. That's done back at the sled lab? That's right. Okay. Did you collect any gunshot residue or attempt to collect any gunshot residue off any other part of Mr. Murdoch's body? No. So you didn't try to take anything off his legs or? No, the test is not for that. Later in that evening, his clothes were collected for gunshot residue testing. Were you involved in that in any form or fashion? No. Deputy Varner, I'm going to show you Exhibit 59. I just want to ask you if 59 fairly and accurately depicts Paul Murdoch as you saw him. Uh, lying on the ground by the outside the feed room that night. Yes. That's all I have. Thank you. Prosecutor John Matters rises for one quick redirect question about the nature of Sergeant Varnado's testimony in the gang case that Alex Murdoch prosecuted. After Varnado clarifies that his previous contact with the defendant was limited to gang slang about weapons, both sides indicate that they have no further questions and Judge Newman excuses the witness. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. After Sergeant Varnado is excused, the state next calls Rogan Gibson to the stand. Gibson is in his 20s. He sports short brown hair parted on his right and wears a check-patterned button-down shirt. Lead prosecutor Creighton Waters handles the questioning for the state. He begins with a request of the witness. Mr. Gibson, I want you to introduce yourself to the jury a little bit. Uh, tell us, uh, you know, where you grew up, uh, where you went to high school, just a little bit about yourself uh, before we uh, get to your testimony. I went to Wade Hampton High School. I'm from Hampton. 
And uh, you working now? I am. All right. What field do you work in? The agriculture field. All right. You, uh, you said you're working in agriculture. Is that right? That's correct. All right. And currently still working in agriculture. That's correct. Back in June of 2021, what were you doing? Working in agriculture. That's correct. Farming. Uh, what kind of job did you have? I was farming, operating equipment. Let me ask you: Did you uh, get to know uh, Paul Murdoch? I did. All right. And tell me, uh, how old were you when you got to know Paul Murdoch? I've known him all my life, real good, probably when I was 11, 12 years old. And how did y'all get to meet one another? How did you become closer? I lived next to him. Okay, and when did that happen? When I was 11, 12 years old. 11 to 12? Y'all went to school together? Uh, Paul was a little bit younger than me, and I didn't go to school with him. When y'all were growing up, what kind of things y'all like to do together? We enjoyed the outdoors, hunting, fishing, hanging around the farm. Were you uh, close friends with Paul until the day he was murdered? I was. Tell the jury just a little bit about Paul. Give me just a little sense of who he was as a person. He loved outdoors, hunting, fishing, hanging around. Really enjoyed the, the farm out there at Moselle. Fun guy to be around? He was. Over the years, as you got to be closer friends with Paul, did you get to be closer friends with the rest of the family? I was. And was that just uh, Paul and his, his brother and his parents, or was it sort of the Murdochs, uh, the larger family as well? The whole family. And over those years, as you became close with them, how close would you say? How close did you become? Real close, like a second family. Like a second family to you? Yes, sir. Paul, did you have a nickname for him, or did he have a nickname? Rooster. His brother Buster, did he have a, a name or a nickname? Called him Bus. Bus. What'd you call Maggie? Miss Maggie. What did you uh, call Mr. Randolph, uh, Paul's grandfather? Handsome. Handsome. Uh, how about uh, Miss Libby, his his wife, Paul's grandmother? Him. Him. Uh, how about Maggie's parents? Did you have nicknames for them? I called them Papa T and Grandma. Papa T and Grandma? That's like correct. M-A-R at the end? That's correct. What did you call Alec? Mr. Alec, a big red. Mr. Alec, a big red. Um, you said they were like a second family to you. That's correct. Being that close to this family, did you frequently go out to Moselle? All the time. Did you ever go to? Did they have other properties, too, that you ever went to? They did. What were the other properties they had? Edisto Beach. We went there a lot. Yeah, the house at Edisto Beach? That's correct. And any other properties while you were growing up that you recall? The property in Hammond, the house in Hammond. Yeah, did they ultimately sell that property? They did. You remember about how long ago that was? Not real sure. When you uh, would go out, when did they get Moselle? I mean, just roughly. Uh, I believe it was like my freshman year in high school, so 14 2014, something like that? No, it was, I graduated in 14, so probably around 2010, maybe. Okay. And over the years, did you spend a lot of time out there? I did. What were some of the things that you would do with Paul out there? We would hunt, fish, hang around. Ride around the property? Yeah, work the food plots, equipment. Creighton Waters puts a poster board-sized satellite image of the Murdoch's Moselle Road property on the courtroom easel. I got Stakes 303 right here. This poster board. Can I ask you to uh, come on down with uh, the judge's permission and let's, uh, let's kind of point out some things to the jury. All right, do you recognize this image? And what is that? Keep your voice up if you could. That's the picture of the, the overview of the Moselle property. Okay. And where's the residence in this picture? Right here. And is there a driveway to that residence? That would be the main driveway. Okay. Do you see Moselle Road on this particular image? Going right down there. What's, uh, what's this red roof building right there? That's the little airplane hangar. And uh, did y'all have a name for that? Did you call it the hangar? Yeah, the shed, the hangar. The shed or the hangar. Uh, any other structures out there? That was the newer shed, the tractor shed, the mm -hmm. kennel, and that's the skinning shed. Skinning shed? And just real quick, what's the skinning shed for? Rogan Gibson replies that a skinning shed is an area where animals are processed after they are killed. 
What's the structure right here? That's the old cabin, the haunting cabin. Okay. How about across the street? Was there was there any structures across the street? There was. All right. What was it there across? Shooting house. All right. And can you just point roughly where that be? It might, right at the top of the picture. Okay. All right. And what is this right here? On. And when y'all were, uh, what was the shooting house used for? Sight and rifles. Shooting kind of that angle. We a target down here. Would y'all shoot uh, rifles from the shooting house? We would. What about shotguns? Would y'all shoot those over at that shooting area? Yeah, most of the time we shot them around the pond. Around the pond? Is this a lot of trees right here? It is. And on the other side of that lot of trees, what did y'all call that? The dove field. The dove field? All right, you can go ahead and have a seat for me. Thank you. You uh, mentioned that uh, y'all like to, to ride the property and shoot, prop uh, shoot and hunt out there. Is that right? That's correct. What kind of hunting would y'all do out there? Anything we could hunt. Okay. Well, give me some examples, if you would, please. Hog hunting, deer, turkeys. Hog hunting, deer, and turkeys? Dove, quail. Let me ask you this. Turkey season, do you know when that is in South Carolina? Mid-March to early May. Right, so it's a very fairly short period of time in that, that time period? That's correct. Um, you mentioned hogs first. Uh, tell me about the hog hunting. What, what would y'all, how would y'all go hog hunting? A lot of times we'd shoot them at night with a thermal scope. And what weapon would y'all use to, uh, to shoot those hogs with a the thermal scope? 300 blackout. Uh, and whose weapon was that? I think it was Buster's. Tell me about what you know about the blackouts, how the family got those blackouts. They bought two of them, one for Paul and one for Buster. Okay. And you know, can you describe those two? Did you see both of them back in the day? They, yes, they were, um, they were similar build. One was black, one was like a green tannish color. And did anything ever happen to one of them? Yes, one of them was stolen. Okay, and were you present when that happened or around when that happened? I wasn't present, I was just told about it. And what was the story you were told about that? I was told somebody took it out of Paul's truck at a party. At a party. How long ago was that? I'm not exactly sure. Years? Um, yes, it's been five, six years probably. Okay. I'm going to show you what's already been entered into evidence in States 163. And we'll have you look at that image, and particularly what's there on that pool table. Do you recognize that? That's a picture of a 300 blackout. And is that, that the one that you and Paul would take hog on? Yes, that's one of them. Said one got stolen. To your knowledge, was there ever a replacement gun? I don't remember a replacement. You don't remember a replacement. You remember Paul using the black one, is that right? That's correct. Or either the green and tan one before it was stolen. Before it was stolen. That's correct. Five or six years ago. That's correct. What other guns did Paul use a lot that he favored? He favored a super black eagle shotgun, 12 gauge. I'm going to show you what's already been admitted into evidence. It states three and see if you recognize that. I do. All right, tell me what that is. A super black eagle. Right. And do you specifically recognize that gun? Yes. And what gun is that? That's Paul's gun. And how can you tell? The camo pattern and the strap. Would Paul frequently have weapons with him when he was on the property or in his truck or that sort of thing? He would. Right. What sort of weapons would he have frequently have with him? A lot of times he carried a 300 blackout in his vehicle. And then I mean, sometimes pistols, different shotguns. Would he carry that uh, shotgun a lot as well? Yes, I have seen him carry that shotgun. We'll show you what's been frequently entered in evidence of states four. Let's see if you recognize that. That's Super Black Eagle three of Paul's. That's Paul's favorite shotgun. That's correct. What about deer? Did he have a weapon he liked uh, hunting deer with? He did. It was a seven millimeter weight. Did Paul ever have any pistols, to your knowledge, or carry around any pistols? He did sometimes. You know. uh, what were his favorite two guns, or the most guns he most commonly had around? Probably that three hundred and the uh, Super Black Eagle. That's the ones I've seen him use the most. Tell me about uh, a little bit about the hog hunting. You said y'all would hunt them at night? That's correct. Right. And tell me how that works. Well, what would y'all do? Y'all walking around? Y'all riding around? Riding around? How does that go? Most time we drove four-wheeler vehicle. We didn't hardly ever walk, but that scope, the thermal scope would pick up the heat. And where on the property would y'all hunt? 
All over. The hogs you hunt all over? That's correct. Um, when you and Paul were together hunting uh, with that blackout, um, did you usually have the gun and shooting, or did Paul usually have the gun and shooting? It just depends. Well, who had the gun more? Probably Paul. One guy's driving, the other guy's looking? That's correct. Is that something y'all did frequently? A good bit, yes, sir. Uh, if y'all ever killed a hog, what would y'all do with it? Sometimes we would give it to people that wanted to butcher it. Sometimes we just let nature take its course, just leave it wherever it was shot at. It just depends. Sometimes we'd skin them out ourselves. Or uh, hogs and nuisance in them? They are. So we're talking a little bit about Paul and who he was. How was Paul on his cell phone? He was on his cell phone a lot. Let me ask you a little bit about Miss Maggie. Uh, you mentioned before that the family had a couple of properties. Uh, in the summertime, where did Miss Maggie prefer to stay? She liked to stay at Edisto. And did you know why she preferred Edisto? Because of the yellow flies at Moselle. The yellow flies? That's correct. Uh, what about Paul and, and Alec? Where would they stay? Most of the time. Well, Paul, if he was back home, he'd stay at Moselle. But a lot of times he was in Columbia or Charleston. Did he have an apartment in Charleston? No, not, not to my knowledge in Charleston. I'm sorry, in Columbia. I'm in Columbia, yes. Okay. With that, we bring to a close this episode of Jury Duty, the trial of Alex Murdoch. Please join us on our next installment as we continue our look at the direct examination of Paul Murdoch's friend, Rogan Gibson, and the prosecution begins asking the witness questions about his interaction with Paul on the day of the murders. Also, check out the Crime Story podcast, Night Raid, wherever you get your podcasts. And if you would like to listen to these episodes early and ad-free, head over to our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page. ACAST powers the world's best podcasts. Here's a show that we recommend. The Real Housewives is a guilty pleasure for most, but if you're looking to not feel guilty about that pleasure, tune in to Everything Iconic with me, Danny Pellegrino, where I break down all the messy moments and behind-the-scenes antics of Bravo's popular franchise. And on Everything Iconic, I also interview celebrity guests like Kelly Ripa, Kiki Palmer, Drew Barrymore, Cameron Diaz, and more about their guilty pleasures, their past work, and so much more. So if you're pop culture obsessed and find yourself watching way too much reality TV like me, tune in to Everything Iconic with Danny Pellegrino, wherever you listen to podcasts. ACAST helps creators launch, grow, and monetize their podcasts everywhere. ACAST.com You can find more information about this trial on our Jury Duty Crime Story Patreon page or at crimestory.com. Jury Duty is created and produced by Carrie and Tholis. It was co-produced and edited by yours truly, Chris Terracone. Music for this episode was provided by Strike Audio. Thank you for joining us, and we hope you will come back for the next episode of Jury Duty.